Frank, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. How come our website is not secure? Oh, shoot. This is my fault. <laughs> it's <laughs> secure, secure. Oh, what does that word mean anymore? But I guess you're hinting at the fact that we don't have SSL, right? That is correct. The the well-known Chrome update that puts a big not secure, oh my goodness, <laughs> everything is happening. Now, granted, on mergeconflict.fm, when you go there, all of the source material actually comes from Fireside, our host, which is all HTTPS. So the only thing that's not secure is our domain name, which means that what we'll end up doing is just going to Cloudflare and then doing a bunch of stuff and doing a bunch of caching stuff. And that, that somehow that's what interests me about SSL <laughs> is that I literally have to do nothing by except for going to Cloudflare, entering some information. Then all of a sudden, look, I just, I'm a security expert, Frank. I'm an SSL yeah. expert and I have no idea what I did, but I did it and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're kind of stuck there, right? Because we're all using third party hosts and everything, and you don't exactly have control of the server. You can't go register your own server or anything. So you, in a lot of cases, you really don't have any other options than to just use a crazy third party like Cloudflare, which takes complete control of your domain. <laughs> and thanks to that, they're able to issue certificates and everything for it. But yeah, it's I, I'm trying to make fun because no, you're not an expert at all, but none of us are experts. So it's probably better that we pay Cloudflare to do it, but I'm not. So many of my websites are still HTTP. I have a lot of work to do still. Yeah. It's an interesting time for the internet. I feel as if the internet is going through a transition currently and everyone's hand is being forced uh, by Google with, with this HTTPS <laughs> stuff for the greater good. But I yeah. think that there are a lot more implications than just being like, oh, there's a little green thing. Because then what's the next layer, right? Uh, I mean, all that means, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that all of my data is being transmitted over uh, HTTPS, so a secure connection, and that ideally then everything is encrypted across the wire um, back and forth. Yep. Does that sound correct? Yep, 100%. Yep, so there's SSL a, is... <laughs> there's like a cert. There's like a two certs. There's like some certs that are happening on my computer. Like there's a cert on my computer that's like, I know how to do this thing. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you negotiate a, a few keys between yourselves and it's all done with this crazy, awesome algorithm that I've totally forgotten the name of. <laughs> I think there's a few of them out there. Uh, you come up with a set of keys so that you can encrypt traffic and hopefully no one else can also come up with those keys. Like they got to be clever. Like you have to generate keys yourself without man in the middle people attacking you. It's all so over my head, to be honest. I've read book after book on <laughs> encryption and everything. And I know the general rules and everything, but there, there's so much to it. But yeah, it's encrypted and it's good because then people can't spy on you at airports or, you know, shared Wi-Fi networks and all that. Yeah. And I did, we, we, you know, when I got started in the world of encryption, why I thought it was interesting that you put it on our topic sheet is I remember walking into Canon one day and I needed to learn about public and private keys. And to me, this is the base of all forms of encryption that go anywhere. There's some keys, there's a private key and there's a public key. Now, I didn't even know this, but I know I was I was using like WCF and uh, a bunch of other web services. I needed to communicate securely. 
and my coworker, Sean at the time, he goes, here's what I want you to do, James. He's like, here's a book. <laughs> and it always comes down to a book. He's like, I want, yeah. I know he's like, I know you don't read a lot, but read the first three chapters and you will need everything that you know, everything that you need to know is in the first three chapters, at least to get you partway there, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that, that made a lot of sense because there was, um, there's a, a private key and a public key and, uh, you generate those keys and you can give away your public key, which can be used to, to, uh, encrypt the data. And then you can decrypt the data with your private key and only you have your private key and no one else can have it. So if those private keys are compromised, well, that's a problem. Um, but that, you know, you make that handshake. I always call it a handshake across the wire. It's like you're, you're, you're anyone with your public key, you're kind of granting this like, Hey, it's okay because you've, you have this public key and you can encrypt or decrypt and I can do the same on my end. Does, does that sound correct? Or did I just mess it all up? Yeah, I you know, there's no way we're going to get this perfectly right. So I, I hope people don't write in immediately if we misspeak about, you know, um, how do you generate a private key and what's actually being exposed and all that. But yeah, it, I, I do. There's a certain elegance to this public private key thing, right? Because anytime you first learn encryption, you learn one way encryption, how to use one key to encrypt data. And the trick there is, well, how do I tell other people what that key is? And how do I prevent that key from getting out there? Do I have to encrypt the key now? You know, you, you get into this endless cycle and it's terrible. So the public-private key system is a sort of genius thought of how to establish keys between two people, encryption keys and decryption keys, without necessarily exposing the whole one key to rule them all you know there's there's no one way into this lockbox in fact there's two ways and only two specific people can do it mm. it's all clever uh you mentioned earlier too the certificates which are actually a whole different topic but it it does come down to like even if i um even if i do exchange keys with you and i think that we're doing great and we're talking all securely how do i trust that you're actually you so there's two different problems being solved here also with the ssl we have the certificates a trust issue and then we have the actual encryption as in keep the bad people out and they all get kind of merged together just to make life super fun for us <laughs> and i guess i got really lucky in the world of mobile is that for a long time i didn't have to worry about any of this stuff, to be honest with you, I was like, oh, you know, everything is sandbox and it's all in my application and I'm not really storing anything too intense. And then like, what was it? iOS nine came out and the TLS implementations kind of um, happened like and, and iOS. Yeah. Let me look this up. So the transport well, layer security that iOS put in place that's like, hey, only secure things can happen in your app. And this impacted me because the web server I was logging into needed to also have TLS on it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I actually ran into all this from the opposite side, too. I loved being the little jerk that would sniff Wi-Fi networks and see what everyone was doing. You know, I, I was kind of a terrible person. So I, I love to kind of snoop in and see all that stuff. And so I would say that that was my first exposure to it was, oh, my God, everyone's stuff is in the clear here. This is terrible. Things should be encrypted, especially on Wi-Fi networks and like that. But you say that uh, Chrome is kind of like pushing the world forward. 
Well, for me, it was iOS, exactly with what you were talking about, with them switching to this thing where if you haven't written an iOS app before, you quickly learn that you cannot access other people's servers unless uh, they're either secured with HTTPS or you uh, create an allow list saying that I, I know the server's not secure, but I promise I'm not doing any personal information over it and I'd like to access it. And you actually have to declare all that stuff right in your application configuration file. It's static. It gets reviewed by Apple. This is all out in the open like that. And so for me, that was the wake up call. I I was a little amazed at Apple for doing that. It seemed, I don't know, maybe premature. You know, security always feels premature, (laughs) but then you realize it takes time to settle in. You're like, okay, yes, it it is better for everything to be encrypted. And Apple pushing us along was a good kick in the butt. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool, too, because it sometimes takes the giants to push things forward for for the greater good i like to call it and mm-hmm. i had carrie lothrop lothrop carrie carrie i'm gonna call him carrie carrie let's go carrie. With carrie. uh microsoft member for you long time xamarin mvp mm-hmm. he came on the xamarin show not too long ago and he talked about mobile app security and what's interesting is he also talked about https so he goes oh you know if you're just going and saying like give me get string async and you hit microsoft.com like there's like a that handshake that occurs and he talks about the certificate pinning that there is a certificate on my machine that is allowing kind of the https thing to be trusted um but there's not like there's a cert on my phone so the the part of ssl that gets interesting is when you're making web requests from a mobile device and then you have to essentially put in some key, so so X509 certificates and this X509 chain, this policy, it's specifically not hard to set up. You just have to know what you're looking for, right? And a lot of that comes down to setting the security protocol of TLS and setting the certificate pinning, which is really not that hard. You set like this public key that comes from Microsoft.com, for instance, or whatever your website is. You can validate these things. So yeah, there's no man in the middle. There's no sniffing that's occurring. And you're saying, hey, I'm I'm cool to my this app is cool to grab data from this website. So it's like a double security yeah. mechanism where your users are also secured. So no one tries to uh, sniff and intercept calls along the wire um, coming into your website or your app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, uh, I, I ran into this in a funny way also. Back in the day, um, may, maybe it still is, the certificates shipped separately from Mono. So I would be on a Linux box and I would try to uh, connect to an HTTPS site and it would say, nope, no good, can't do it. And you're like, why the heck can't you do this little thing? And that's because it was missing the internet root certificates. So if you haven't had any experience with this, certificates are built on a chain of trust. So uh, if you trust person A, then you trust them to give certificates to person B, trust B to give certificates to C. It's a chain of trust. But if you don't have those root certificates, if you don't trust anyone, then you can't connect to anyone. But I do love the idea of if you want to write a super secure app of, no, don't trust anyone. Don't even trust the root certificates mm-hmm. because you know what? Those root people, they do bad things from time to time. Certificates get revoked 
all the time. And that's something you often don't check for too. But even better than trusting those people is only trust your own server. So put your own certificate on the server and just trust that. The tricky part there is now you're you're at the mercy of your own IT people and your own (laughs) quality and keeping those things secure and all that. So there's always trade-offs and Uh, who you're going to trust, how much maintenance do you have to do, how much bookkeeping do you have to do yourself, especially with regards to the server. So I I have never done that myself personally, but I think that that's a great technique for anyone who does actually want to guarantee some secureness. Now, there is the issue of you might start thinking like, oh, what if I give certificates to the clients and then the clients will prove that they're the client? It never works out that way. (laughs) The trust system only seems to work well when you're talking to the server because the moment you're trying to trust a client, well, I guess the old networking adage is never trust the client. You can trust Mm. the server, but never trust the client. So unfortunately, it doesn't work both ways. I was at VS Live, great sponsor of the show, not this week's mm-hmm. sponsor, but great sponsor, VS Live, great developer conference. And I was talking to someone about this, trusting the user or the server, and, and they had a very similar question. They go, uh, I think they were like lighting up features in their app based on, um, are they an admin or this or that? And they're like, we want different apps or whatever. And I go, well, no, no, you just need to be able to log in the user and you need to validate those things. And they're like, well, what if they see access to stuff? Like, what if someone spoofs? Like, how do you hide an admin portal? I'm just like, just hide it, disabled, right? Because they're not an admin, don't show it. Switch case. They go, well, what if someone hacks around that? I go, well, that won't matter because on the server who's returning the data, that's where the verification happens. The the, The app is a dumb client. It only can be told what to do. The server is the one that's inserting data, getting data. So I go picture this. Let's say you have an app and you say admins can read, you know, expense reports. So if someone spoofs being an admin so they can see that, the first thing that they're going to do is try to go to the data in in the server and say, give me all the expense reports. But they won't be able to because they'll either have to log in and if they go to log in, they have to have the username and password of an admin. And then the server will do the user verification. So the app doesn't necessarily need to do the user verification, but the server is. So like if the app does a request, says give me the data and the server returns like, hey, I don't think so. Right. Then the app can respond and you can be smart about that. So it's like these layers of security. It's like, I've enabled TL or SSL and I've gone through Cloudflare on my backend. Now I'm doing cert pinning. Now I'm actually going through and making sure that my only of these users can do stuff. And I did that for the Evolve Conference app because we were using a backend where different people could do different things. But guess what? Most of the fields were read only for anyone that was attending the conference and only admins where their email ended in like Xamarin.com, for instance, were able to make changes. So these were the admin accounts, just like anyone from Xamarin.com could do that because that, that makes sense. So trusting the server, like there has to be a definitive point that is, uh, you can't get past it, right? And and yeah. And that's kind of the nice thing. A lot of people say, I want to directly connect to my database and I want to get data and insert data. I'm like, you, you think you want to, but it's actually a <laughs> terrible idea because you need that gatekeeper, which, um, which is, is, is something to think about when you're building a, a real application. 
Yeah, we've gotten a little off track from encryption, but I mean, this is super <laughs> important stuff. Uh, yeah, the server controlling access. It, you say layers of security. Well, there can be multiple layers, but that last layer, the server, has to be watertight. <laughs> that thing kind of has to be perfect. And a part of that is, you're absolutely right. Like The app can receive tons of data and just choose what to display depending on a bunch of things. It really shouldn't matter. But it kind of does matter that the server doesn't leak too much information. Do you remember... Um, there was a funny bug that went around on Ruby on Rails many years ago where you could spoof the server into giving you way too much data back or you could insert too much data into the server. So say there was a form that had like um, my name and uh, my biography or something like that. But they also had other hidden fields and you could just make a web request and add in those other hidden fields. And the server just blindly took those and inserted them into the database without doing any validation or anything. It was just because people were being a little bit sloppy. You know, they weren't, you know, validating everything. So that was a huge security flaw that occurred in Ruby on Rails. Thankfully, they all got kind of the security religion after that. And uh, you see things like ASP.NET. MVP, where they're like, you really should take very specific request and response objects in your controller action so that you control exactly which data is coming in and going out of your API calls because you don't want to leak too much data. So it's it's a very important security problem there, and people are working hard to make sure it happens. And don't be lazy. I was one of those people that shared classes everywhere. I dumped out too much information into my APIs. I accepted too much information. So (laughs) don't be terrible like me. Yeah. Well, I want to get to the database and storing data and the different options, but let's uh, let's take a break real quick, Frank, that we've been talking about SSL and encryption and decryption for a while and thank our sponsor this week, our good friends over at Instabug. Instabug is a lightweight SDK for mobile applications that provides those mobile apps with a super comprehensive bug and crash reporting. In addition to that, it also provides an API so that your users can give you in-app feedback. You can take screenshots, scribble on it, do this whole thing. It's really great. It's one of my favorite features is I have this beta application or I have you know production, I find a bug. How do you get feedback from your users? You don't want to roll your own thing. With the Instabug SDK, you simply add the SDK. You say, hey, submit some feedback, maybe even just by shaking the phone that's built right in. They'll take that screenshot. They can draw. They can annotate. And they can highlight any sensitive data, too. So they have all this great built-in feedback as one of the main components. So like that alone is a huge win when I'm just developing an application. But then, of course, they have this great bug reporting, crash reporting. It gives you everything that you need, including super detailed device logs, network logs, and a huge hierarchy and visual reproduction steps along the way of your application. What's cool is it takes just one line of code to integrate the SDK, and then you can go ahead and go deeper beyond that. Now, over 20,000 companies rely on Instabug to enhance their app quality, and you can be one of them by going to instabug.com slash merge. You can sign up and integrate their SDK for free to get started and get a free special Instabug t-shirt by, again, going to instabug.com slash merge to learn more and get that free t-shirt. Thanks to Instabug for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. I love things that allow me to not write more code. Frank, that's a theme of all of our sponsors, (laughs) I think. How can I save time? 
I was going to say, I just, um, I love getting screenshots in bug reports, like, you know, a few sentences, I can kind of guess at what they're saying, but when there's a screenshot and an arrow pointing at a bug, I'm like, okay, I can fix that. <laughs> you know? so, like, I just love getting those support emails. I'm a big fan of when people put red arrows pointing at anything. Yes. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> just now, like, look here. Yes. Look right here. Now, Frank, there's one thing that we're looking at as the as the developer, Frank, of the world's most used database mechanism in the world, SQLite-Net, how do you feel about on-device security when it comes to databases? (laughs) Well, uh, as the premier, no, um, I personally have never needed it in an app. That said, I think every app should use it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the next versions of SQLite I've been working on actually integrate SQL Cipher, which is a well-known uh, recompilation of C- SQLite that supports encryption on device. And I'm going to fully support that. In fact, there's a beta version out of SQLite-Net forever now that supports it. Hmm. And I think that this is, this is a lot like getting the SSL religion. It's um, why not encrypt it, to be honest? Like maybe encryption should just be the default and you should argue why you're not encrypting other things because it's so easy to slip personal information in there. You know, text messages, personal messages, photographs, all sorts of things. And a person's phone gets stolen. I've had a lot of devices stolen and there's nothing more like invasive feeling than thinking, oh, someone's going through my data you gross you know so wouldn't it be nice if it was encrypted and so i think okay maybe not every app in 2018 uh should encrypt all of its data on the device but i think if you're putting anything remotely personal in there i really do think you should be and i'm a little kicking myself as i'm saying all this because i do need to get that (laughs) version 1.5 of the library out of beta and into the public so that people can actually do it easily yeah, it's it's been a long time where people ask me, oh, I'm using your settings plugin and I'm trying to store this data or I'm trying to store this data. And I go, no, th- that's this is not the place where you want to store that data. <laughs> this is a this is a there, there's kind of levels of app security and encryption that's going on. And when you think of um, there's the, the disk, the file disk, the, the disk file system on disk. Yeah. Come on, James, speak. <laughs> you got it. And. Those are a bunch of files that you can put in different locations. But like you said, you can always root a device. You can get into a device. And even though an app is sandboxed, like on Android, you can still navigate around and kind of get in there and do some stuff and see some files. Hmm. And if you put them in the wrong location, which is super easy to do, (laughs) then it really means that anyone can get to those. I mean, it's really easy to just, you know, dot, dot backslash one too many times and now you're in some folder and if it's really fun to install on android a file manager like astro it's the one that i use and you can just see like all this it's not hard like all the data is there and it's not necessarily always sandboxed into a secure location and settings like preferences those are in no way necessarily the most secure thing in the world like ns user default shared preferences they are definitely locked to your machine 
but that doesn't mean that they're not just they're plain text right you're not there there's probably something like it's at least a layer that you're adding where it's not just a file on disk but somewhere there is a file somewhere <laughs> that it's being tracked right so oh, yeah. there's some way to get to it and the data is not encrypted I do imagine there will be a point in time where the whole file system does become encrypted on mobile devices. Like we see on desktop systems right now, it's an option. It's still mostly an option, right? They haven't gone and encrypted my whole drive, have they? I don't think so. Um, no, no. Vault, Key Vault. I think you're looking <laughs> yeah. at Vault. What's the Vault thing? Oh, vault. I don't know. Because the Microsoft Mac. name is so similar to the Apple name. <laughs> so no, it's, it's hard for me to keep. BitLocker on file Windows. Vault. File Vault on Mac. Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, still opt-in, so it's not happening. But I imagine that at some point on device it will. Maybe five years less, probably. But you also have backups. A lot of times people do their backups not encrypted, which is pro tip, by the way. Always encrypt your backups, because otherwise you just have these loose files hanging around that pretty much expose everything you've ever thought or did in your life. You know, <laughs> emails, messages, all that kind of stuff. So uh, the backups will get encrypted. But otherwise, yeah, if you write a file onto that disk, it's just plain text. It's not encrypted in any form. So there's a million ways to get at that data. So you mentioned SQL Cypher. I mean, are there other ways of encrypting the data? Sure, sure. (laughs) You know, you can always make up your own encryption algorithms. You can go get a, (laughs) well, you know, .NET comes with, what is this, system.security? I don't even know the namespace, I'm that bad. But there is a full encryption suite included in .NET. So 100%, you could do all the encryption on your own. Every stream that you open, you can create keys for, you can generate keys, you can store the keys, you can do the encryption, you can create hashes of everything. That's an option. I think the old rule in encryption, though, is usually don't roll your own. (laughs) Try to use as high level a library as you can. Otherwise, you're just going to make a mistake. It's too easy. You'll you'll expose a key somewhere. You'll put the file in the wrong place, as you said before. So you want to stick with the high level stuff. Uh, So that's why we've all kind of settled on SQL Cypher because... It's a trusted compilation at this point. You want to make sure that there's no backdoors to the encryption itself. So you have to prove that the people who are building the binaries for this thing are lawful good, yeah. you know, not not trying to create terror in the world. So it's it's a trust issue there. And I think that's why we're all kind of settling on one or two vendors. There's a few vendors that can provide you encrypted databases, but... These are the ones most people are using. Have you ever used the core data in iCloud? Is that all secure at some point? I imagine by default, everything Apple is secure. Like, is there is that built in in some way? Uh, so core data is just a SQLite database. So that's not secure by default. That's just plain text. Not text, it's a database, but you know what I mean. It's 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 in the clear on the device. Uh, iCloud, that's all encrypted. That's all SSL. That's up on a server. There's access levels. There's tons of stuff happening there. So you're fine if you're doing iCloud. But core data by itself is basically just a SQLite database file. Nothing special to see there. And so you would basically use SQL Cipher because it supports core data in AES 256-bit <laughs> encryption, basically is what you're saying. <laughs> Did you just so read that? Are they actually up to that 256-bit? Jeez. <laughs> 
It's 256-bit AES encryption. Yeah, yeah, correct. That's nice. That's so nice. You're going to have to check some checkboxes. Should we mention that about iOS and export restrictions and all that? It's no, a terrible world. I want to know. Oh, <laughs> see, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't talk intelligently about this other than to say roughly the U.S. government does not want any implementations of cryptography in the U.S. past a certain level past a certain bit complexity to be exported out of the country. And if you do so, you have to declare it, say where you got it from, file lots of paperwork. So the general rule of thumb is I try not to include any uh, too much external encryption in my apps. Otherwise, I have to fill out more and more paperwork and it gets frustrating. Uh, that's it's, it's technically the law, but it's a law that Apple enforces. So <laughs> Apple's kind of, again, the gatekeeper and... Every time you uh, submit an app, they'll ask you, uh, do you import any encryption here? Or are you exporting any encryption? Because it matters. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, that's one thing I never want to really worry about too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, going over 256 or what's out there. So maybe I'll just stick with SQL Cypher. Maybe perhaps a new sponsor of the podcast. I should probably reach out. But um, <laughs> uh, what's, you know, what I use um you know, a lot of people say, hey, I need these settings or I don't need a database because, you know, a database is, is quite a bit to manage if you're just storing a few bits of information. So there is something built into iOS and Android and Windows, right? Literally, there's a keychain, which I think is probably the most important part of encryption. Like when I go onto my phone, whenever I go onto my computer, like in Chrome or I log in and I need a password, like there is it's not just storing those in plain text. There is <laughs> things being stored in a keychain, and iOS keychain is really great because you have to unlock it, right? There's a there's a password, there's a mechanism, there's a key, there's a whole thing that occurs. Same thing with unlocking your phone with fingerprints. And uh, John Dick and I, mostly John Dick, I had very little to do with this, <laughs> but he implemented secure storage on xamarin essentials which is an abstraction over the keychain and key store and all the different namings of some keychain on the different platforms into a single api and, and what i really like about this is that if you just need to store a string somewhere some bits of information this thing here handles everything for you it also will automatically back up your phone it syncs with icloud if you want it to like you can really have it be verbose and probably one of the most interesting things about how um, like learning about just the implementations is like Apple really got it right. I think that mm -hmm. they did a phenomenal job. Again, Apple's really great with API design at Google. This, this, that thing's a hot mess. Oh. Um, it's sad, but because there's so many different versions, right? There's uh, all sorts of stuff, but they have this thing called sec accessible do you know about sec accessible at all no so i i will say i do know most of the apis start with sec uh i was going to you, you were saying apple is good at api design but i don't like the keychain api i have a hard time using it every time i have to remember how to use it i always end up having to oh, read yeah. the docs again and that kind of stuff because it is a little bit nutty and all that so I have to thank you. I think I already have thanked you on this podcast, but <laughs> thanks again for secure storage because now I can just <laughs> go get a NuGet and trust that it's being put there. And I do love uh, the keychain. Anytime you have a password or an access token in your app, don't save it anywhere except the keychain. It's just 
mm-hmm. great for that. It can get synchronized between devices. It gets backed up securely. You don't have to worry about your own encryption. It's all just handled for you. And so I, I would actually like to hear a little bit more about the Android side because I know uh, the iOS side. But first, tell me tell me about SEC. What was it? SEC accessibility? Accessible. Accessible. Yeah. So you're, you're correct. I will say that the iOS, I would say that they got, they got the functionality correct. I do think the API is not right. good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is very hard to understand. So we simplified it by get and set. It's very, very simple. <laughs> um, very easy to do. So everything is a, a security record that, that gets inserted. And there's these accessibility controls that you have. So you can say that this is accessible after first unlock, after first unlock for only this device, always, uh-huh. always for this device, you know, um, Fantastic. when unlocked. So it's very, very granular. The problem here with Android, which we document and I'll put in the show notes for the implementation details, is that between API 23 and below, the Android key store switch from storing RSA keys over to AES um, oh. ciphers, basically. Okay. Does that mean what? You can't open an old one? What does that mean in practical consideration? Yes. So this means, so so this means that, yeah, a- anything below tw- 22 and below only supports storing RSA keys instead of AES keys. Uh, and this becomes problematic for what you just said. What happens if you upgrade things? Okay. So we have to, at, now the nice thing is that on level 23 and above, it can do both. So okay. it's not one or the other. Right. So we, we have to store information to say, was this key originally created on level 22 or below? And then forever you will be using RSA keys. There's like no way to, there's no good way <laughs> sure. to do it. Right. Uh, it's just impossible. Yeah. That's sad. Uh, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a pain in the butt. And then also at the same time, what we find on Android is that there could be some uh, issues with certain device manufacturers. So right now there's an issue with older Huawei devices and Huawei is very, very popular. So you know, since it's an mm-hmm. official product that we're working on, <laughs> I had to go buy a Huawei device. I had to import oh. a Huawei device and I'm going to debug the issue and see what the issue is on these devices. Cause Huawei implemented some key store implementation different. Like they changed something, right? Oh, they God. just changed it. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, well, there's something to be said for hegemony. Um, how do you like the Huawei device? I'm just curious. <laughs> I've never seen one. I just got it. I just got it today. I just got oh, it today. Okay. So. I expect a full review in the next episode. I want to hear about it. I will. I will. Well, that's very sad. Um, yeah. The keychain just works. And thankfully, it's an old API. It's been around forever. And it's, yeah, it just works. Thank goodness for that. I don't know mm-hmm. how they pull it off. They abstract us from all that nastiness. Yeah, it's somehow magical. So that like those are the options. Like I got kind of scales, and then we went back to the easiest form. Like oh, this is the easiest <laughs> one. Just do yeah. this, right? And that's totally what I do. Actually, uh, the keychain. I I think somewhere they mention like how much you're supposed to store in there. But in general, you know, keep it under a meg or so, and you should be okay. Yeah, you can always just measure these things and see what the access times are. And you got to keep in mind that it will be synchronized through things. So I wouldn't go storing 
like your cache and all the data for your app in the keychain. Apple or someone's going to get upset at you at that point. At that point, use the database. But in general, I just use the keychain for everything. It's just such a nice, um, nice, reliable. You just feel secure knowing that no one's going to get to that data except for the user. Yeah. Yeah. And, this, you know, Apple, I think they figured out encryption a little <laughs> bit. I think they do an okay job there. Uh, so I think on, on a previous episode, I think we were already laughing at ourselves for not being SSL compliant. So is this an episode? Are we berating ourselves? Are we saying we got to update our websites? I'm gonna, I want to bring it back around to the SSL. So yes, uh, all my websites besides mergeconflict.fm are <laughs> secure. Um, uh, now, the, the challenge will be that we are recording this um, before the show comes out naturally. So the challenge that we'll have is can James and Frank come together before this episode comes out on the 27th of August and secure our website? You yourself can find out more information. And if we accomplished it by going to mergeconflict.fm and you'll see a secure or not secure logo in the top left of your Chrome tab. And then of course, if it's secure or not secure up to you, you can always subscribe, rate, review. You can go in, search for other podcasts, see our guests, see our awesome episodes, and you can even write us an email by hitting the little contact button. And if it's over HTTPS, guess what? It'll be secure. What's great about that is that all of your data is secure over the wire. Now, beyond that, you can also become our patron where we have some awesome gifts and rewards that we'll be giving out. You can find that by the support button on the top right of the site. Like always, you can follow me at James Montemagno at Proclarum and the show on Twitter at MergeConflict.fm. And I think that's going to do it, Frank. Anything else from you? No, uh, we'll, we'll dive deeper into the Duffy Homan and Key Exchange on the next episode. Perfect. Well, until then, this has been another episode of Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>